In this episode of the podcast, I want to talk about Rush Limbaugh's Secrets of Success. You don't want to miss this one. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Okay, so uh, as I am speaking, Rush Limbaugh just passed away just a few days ago. I, I'm watching news and on Fox and other places. They're like that. They're you know reviewing his life uh, reverentially, right? I mean, a, to a lot of their viewers, Rush meant a lot. He was really uh, a significant figure. Uh, of course, on the other side, they're tarring and feathering him unceremoniously after he's passed. So uh, even my daughter pointed out just how vitriolic the left is to him. And there's a reason for that. And it has to do with his success. His success is a double-edged sword. Um, but if you understand what you're looking for, you will see lessons of success, of leadership in Rush Limbaugh's life. Okay, so let me just review some facts, and these are uh, not facts that are in dispute, right? I mean, these are uh, just what, you know, his background, uh, he's one of the most, before he passed just recently, this is early 2021, uh, he was one of the highest paid uh, personalities in radio. Uh, he was making $84.5 million a year. He had 15.5 million listeners daily. Now, what does that mean? That's better than any cable news channel, 15.5 uh, million listeners. Um, he had, he wrote seven books. Uh, the first two were the most popular, The Way Things Ought to Be, See, I Told You So. My kids have read his Rush Revere books, uh, which are like historical kind of with him in the in, in the picture. Like that's kind of a little, um, sounds egotistic, but it's just kind of a fun thing. I read uh, The Way Things Ought to Be and See, I Told You So in the early 90s. I think they were 92 and 93, respectively. And they, they had an impact. Like he was the voice of the conservative movement. Bill Clinton had just gotten elected. George Bush was dethroned from being the leader of the party. And until we could figure out what to do after Clinton, Rush was really one of the lightning rods that, that people look to. Um, there, the, there was a big to do about the fairness doctrine about like, well, Hey, we, we need to, we need to do something. There's, there's too much of this conservative stuff on the radio. Now back up until to 19, early 1990s. This is pre-internet. ABC, CBS, and NBC were essentially the big players in the media still, although cable news had been around for, well, not cable news other than CNN, like Fox News wasn't even there yet. Um, but uh, cable was there, but it was really more entertainment. There was there was still a pretty good stranglehold on media. And up comes Rush on on talk radio, on AM stations, and becoming this, this you know, raising a flag to the conservative movement. Okay, so he became this huge figure by, you know, doing something no one else was doing at the time. He was inducted into the uh, uh, National Radio Hall, Hall of Fame, the National Association of Brad Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Uh, in 2020, got the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, during the State of the Union Address. Um, but, you know, so a friend put on um, 
posted a little meme that said uh, about Rush Limbaugh, if the Democrats are trying to hush you up, you're probably doing something right. Now, the Fairness Doctrine was also called the Hush Rush Bill, you know, on the side, um, because it was intended to try to silence people like him. And while his point was political, my point is about leadership and success. Like he was doing something so right that the opposition saw him as a threat, right? You don't impeach Donald Trump unless you're thinking like so he can't run again unless he's a threat it's that kind of thinking okay um so let, let me go back a little bit more about his history and then i'm going to use his words to explain and unpack these leadership lessons so in about 1971 he became a dj at a small radio station in mckeesport pennsylvania by 1998 he begins a new show on wabc in new york city he had moved from place to place to place along the way um just you know go, making his chops moving up the ranks but it's in wabc where he becomes like what we know of him now um to a national audience and uh so that's 88 and so he's working there for a couple of years 1992 bill clinton is elected and he's really the alternative voice i mean it's really amazing. I mean, yes, there there are legitimate political leaders like Newt Gingrich and others that are, you know, the, the standard bearers. But for many, many conservatives, Rush Limbaugh became one of the standard bearers. And he was fairly bombastic and he was fairly combative. And he could be. He could be extra combative because he understood his role. He wasn't actually in the electoral politics. He was on the side talking and you couldn't hurt him in the same way that you could by you know voting him out. Um, so it's really interesting. By 2001, he had become uh, almost completely deaf, uh, and he had some kind of implant plugged in so that he could hear again. Now, you know, it's like Beethoven going deaf, you know, your whole life is music. That's a problem. Rush, all you do is talk for a living. That's a problem. But he overcame that. Um, by 2018, again, he was the highest paid, um, uh, the second highest paid uh, broadcaster just behind Howard Stern. Um, so, and certainly the highest paid conservative. So, okay. So that's a little background about Rush Limbaugh. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a number of quotes, um, his, his own words to kind of give you a sense of where he is and then draw some leadership lessons out of them. So I, there, there's not really an order to them other than the first few are very political. And after that, there are other uh, words that I chose that help us make sense of who he is and how he thinks and why he was a success. Okay, so the first one is this. Enraging liberals is simply one of the more enjoyable side effects of my wisdom. Okay, so yes, was he trying to sound arrogant? Yeah, he was trying to sound, you know, smug and full of himself and he would talk in this manner and Ladies and gentlemen, I am the Rushbow, and, and that kind of thing, right? Um, but, but enraging liberals is simply one of the more enjoyable side effects of my wisdom. Okay, so now while most people look at that and think that's political, I look at that and I think, okay, it is political, but he knows his market. Like, think about what he's doing. He's not trying to be all things to all people. He knows he's trying to speak to conservatives. And he also knows that he's going to tick off the left. And he also knows that if he speaks to conservative and ticks off the left, he's magnifying his presence. Look, you, you have to choose your, your lane, right? Um, 
different people are different. I, right now, I'm wearing a Reagan Bush 84 shirt. Reagan understood who he was. Rush Limbaugh understood who he was. Ted Cruz understands, I think, who he is. Um, John McCain understood that he was who he was. He was a he was more interested in being mavericky than he was being a conservative. Trump understood who he was, and he was more interested in being Trump than being a conservative of the old guard kind of conservative. He was going to be this new populist type of conservative, right? Rush was the same. He understood who he was. Now, I keep saying that because I want you to understand. Think, hear this quote and hear what he's doing. Enraging liberals is simply one of the more enjoyable side effects of my wisdom. Conservatives love it. Liberals hate it. Conservatives love that liberals hate it. No liberal is going to like Rush Limbaugh. Some moderates are going to be turned off, but your hardcore base, they are flocking to you. And Donald Trump did the same thing. Okay. So you have to understand your market. Look, Nike doesn't try to make shoes for uh, formal occasions for elderly women, right? They're not in that market. They're, they are all over the athletic market uh, for um, for mostly younger people, right? And they know that. They stayed in their lane. And that's why Nike is successful, or one of the reasons that Nike is successful. Okay, next quote. By government giveaway programs, individuals are often hurt more than they are helped. The recipients of these programs become dependent on the government, and their dignity is destroyed. Is it compassionate to enslave more and more people by making them part of the government dependency cycle? I think compassion should be measured by how many people no longer need it. Helping people to become self-sufficient is much more compassionate than drugging them with the narcotic of welfare. Now, that is a very clear, cogent, conservative argument about welfare, right? And what we should be doing instead of welfare. The left will look at that and just say, see, he hates people. He hates the, the poor, uh, minorities, those on welfare, whatever it is. They, they're they're going to see red with this. But conservatives, now he already speaks to conservatives emotionally by other statements. Here he's giving them logical, clear thinking arguments to support that, right? So he's he's doing both, the logos and the pathos. Um, and again, he knows his market. He's not trying to say, yeah, but, you know, maybe we should think about, you know, whatever the liberal argument is that you want to put in there to try to balance both sides. He's not doing it. He's unwilling to do that. And that's why conservatives flock to him. That's why he had 15 million listeners daily. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty impressive. Okay. This was a little bit more inflammatory, but it resonates with conservatives. He defines racist as racist, a person who wins an argument with a liberal. Now, that resonates with me because it's a conservative. I, I hear that kind of thing, right? Like if I make a particular conservative point that has nothing to do with race at all, I get called a racist. And I'm thinking like, do you know what the definition of the word is or do you just have nothing else to say? I wasn't thinking anything racist at all. And it's it's almost amusing if it wasn't like scary how we're in this almost um, cultural McCarthyism right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so he has spoken again to his market and he's also ticked off the other side simultaneously with the same statement. Okay, so are, are you seeing that lesson? Okay, I want to move on to other lessons. Here's another quote. He says this, I want the largest audience I can get because that's how I can charge the highest advertising rate, which means what else do I want? Money? I'm trying to earn a profit. It's capitalism. Now, one, 
he's a capitalist, so this just lines up, right? It, I mean, it's not disjointed like AOC raking it in because she's not supposed to be raking it in because she doesn't really believe in capitalism, but she's selling shirts that say something about tax the rich for 60 bucks. What? Okay, so so it, it, it's, it's consistent. It, it lines up. Uh, but beyond that, notice his approach. His approach to getting the largest audience is not to try to appeal to everybody. If you're appealing to everybody, it's not going to work. It just doesn't work. So listen, the, the surest way that I know to tell if somebody knows what they're trying to sell is to ask who you're selling to. And they'll say, oh, I want everybody to buy my product. That's pro You probably don't know your market. If you say, I want to sell to this segment of this segment and even this sub-segment, great. Okay? Rush was appealing to this segment of society and he would grow his audience biggest by continuing to maintain and again, stay in that lane. Okay, next. Being stuck is a position few of us like. We want something new but cannot let go of the old. Old ideas, beliefs, habits, even thoughts. We are out of contact with our own genius. Sometimes we know we are stuck. Sometimes we don't. In both cases, we have to do something. <laughs> I love that, right? In both cases, you have to do something. Whether you're stuck or not, do something. Take action. Move. If Rush was just sitting around in his living room with his friends, instead of pursuing his career on uh, radio, instead of trying to advance himself, instead of writing books, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know anything about him. Would he have the same arguments? Perhaps. Maybe he would. Maybe he wouldn't. He'd probably have similar conservative kind of inclinations. But there are many people just sitting around in their in their living room uh, talking back to the TV or making Facebook posts that aren't doing something. Go do something. That's another secret to his success. Okay, here's the next one. We want everybody to succeed. You know why? We want the country to succeed. And for the country to succeed, its people, its individuals must succeed. Right. That's right. A rising tide floats all boats. And he understood that. Now, that's more political than it is about him. But yes, you have to think in those kinds of terms. There's abundance out there. Stop being so, you know, having a scarcity mentality. Like if somebody else is succeeding, it's taking away from you. The economy is not a zero sum game. The economy can expand by being more productive and trading with each other and, and enhancing each other. It's not that if you have it, you're rich and you took for me. That's foolishness. Okay, having that mentality will go a long way to your success. Okay, next, I'm not afraid of having an agenda. I do have an agenda. It's a positive agenda. Now, I'm not going to go and say, well, whatever you think of him, whether it's a positive or not. No, that's silly. I'm a conservative, right? <laughs> I'm not going to try to pretend like I'm a liberal because I'm not. I, I, I went to Liberty University and then Regent University. So I, you can tell by my resume where I stand already. Um, but he's right. He has an agenda. He knows who he's talking to, just like I do. I'm talking to people who are interested in leadership. And if, if you're here, you're interested in leadership. But also, people are going to like me a little bit more if they come from the right side of the spectrum because I share common views. That's okay. I'm not going to hide that and I'm not going to try to make myself something else that I shouldn't pretend to be because that's not who I am. Okay? So, he didn't do that. I'm not doing that. That's a good lesson. Okay, next. There's nobody who cares more about you than you. And there's nobody better equipped to take care of you than you. <laughs> 
Yeah, take responsibility. You have to take responsibility. Look, I'm telling you, I, I spent a summer in 2019, the entire summer. I'm a, pre, a professor. So I have free time in the summer. Like my, my, I teach like one class at a time or something like that in the summer. So it go, my load goes way down. And I spend most of my time reading on a topic that I find interesting. I read about productivity in 2019 and I was stunned by how much personal responsibility is the key to success. Like, I mean, people who are successful say, take responsibility. People who are unsuccessful, on the other hand, blame the system, blame circumstances, blame it's raining out, blame, oh my, you don't understand where I came from, I had a bad child, whatever it is. Yeah, other people had these other circumstances too, but they took responsibility. You will get nowhere fast if you don't take responsibility for your actions. That doesn't mean that you don't have extra hurdles. You very well may have extra hurdles, but take responsibility and make it happen. Okay, here's another one. I say what I mean. I don't speak in code. And that's why I'm a star and an ace communicator. Okay, so, so he... Part of his shtick was like being a, a little puffed up, right? Like, his, I'm a star and an ace communicator. Okay, that's fine. But he he really didn't speak in code. He wasn't trying to hide anything. He was putting all his cards on the table. And people in his base flocked to that and loved him for that. Okay? Next, life is busy. There are daily concerns and obligations that have yet to be met to take time to think about how precious and special a human life is, that you only get one, and that every wasted minute is lost. You can't get it back. Look, that's right. You can't get this time back. Be productive. Do things that will help you move forward. Stop watching The Simpsons and listen to something that's going to help you grow, right? That's what you should be doing. And Rush was an example of that. He was an exemplar in that. Okay, next. Events sometimes are the biggest teachers, as opposed to words, lectures, and that kind of thing. And he, his whole, his whole stick, his whole show was talking about the current events of the day, making sense of them for his listeners, helping them process them. And the events could often teach very good lessons about what should or should not be done. Remember the names of his books, The Way Things Ought to Be and See I Told You So? I'm telling you, he, he was masterful at doing that. Obama used this term after the, uh, after the, uh, he spoke about the policeman who arrested, um, uh, Professor Gates, I think it was. I might not have that quite right, but, um, they had the beer summit. Remember that? He talked about a teachable moment. Rush was profoundly good at doing these teachable moments. Okay. Here's another one. It's impossible to go through life not offending people. All you have to do is basically have an opinion on anything and you're going to offend people. Exactly. You're going to. So he understood this. He was positioned. Here's my market. Here's who I'm talking to. I'm not worried about offending these other people over here. I, th th they don't really matter like these people here. These are the people I'm going to speak to. Like, he understood his audience, and that is what you need to do as well if you're going to be successful. And whenever you take a position, people are not going to like it just by, just because they have a different position. If they have a different position and they want you to adopt theirs, they're not going to like yours. Just be okay with that. Okay, next. If I sound like I'm enjoying myself, it's not artificial. It's real. <laughs> I love that. because Now, think about that. 
If you are enjoying what you're doing, you're likely to have stick to You're going to uh, go for the long haul. You're going to be able to do it and you're going to relish it. And because you're relishing it, you're going to attract more people who are going to want to follow you. Okay, next. Character matters. Leadership descends from character. Now, when you look around in society, that's almost hard to see anymore. I don't know when this was said, but it was probably said during the Clinton administration. And remember Monica Lewinsky and all of what was going on there. So, uh, but it's a good point. Okay, next. People are pursuing happiness, but they're pursuing things that will never, ever make them happy. And they don't know that. They've got the distorted view of what will make them happy, what happiness is, and it's based on what they see on television. And again, he's singing to conservatives right there, and it's very clear. But his greater point is also true. You know, you have to think about what actually will bring you success, what will make you happy, and what is going to be false success, what's going to be like eating cotton candy. Um, yeah, think through that. Okay, next. I want anyone who believes in life, liberty, pursuit of happiness to succeed. And I want any force, any person, any element of an overarching big government that would stop your success. I want that organization, that element or that person to fail. I want you to succeed. That is talking directly to conservatives. That's speaking their language. I'm saying, yeah, as I read that, because that's how conservatives think. We want the people to succeed. We want government to get out of the way so they don't inhibit it. Whereas the other side, and Rush will point this out, want to, let's equalize the playing field or whatever, like we government are going to equalize it. It's just two contra contrasting visions of the society. But he again, he understood who he was speaking to, and you have to do the same. Okay, next. I have a practice of really not talking about the competition. I'm from the old school. Now, that, that's interesting because he really didn't blast his conservative competition. And th that's really something profound. That's There's something wise about that. He was kind of like the senior statesman who kind of made some of his rivals um, in the sense of other polit conservative political commentators. Um, and I think if you take that approach, it goes well for you or it goes a lot better than if you're just trying to throw rocks at your rivals. Okay, next, he says, psychologically, when I sit down at noon, I'm it. I'm the only thing on. Nobody else does what I do. Nobody else has the opportunity. That's the psychological mindset. It's not an ego thing. It's just the way I've always approached it. And that's right. I, he was all in. He was not, he wasn't doing the uh, halfway job. You know, it doesn't matter if the show is good. Look, he was on. He was always on. He was focused and he did excellence. And here's the lesson in that. Do excellent work if you want to succeed, if you want to move up, if you want to improve. Do excellent work. Uh, what's the proverb say? You see a man skilled in his work, he'll stand before kings. He'll not stand before men of low or officials of low rank. Okay, so do excellent work. Okay, next. If people are speaking about something passionately, and if they have a level of intelligence about it, and if they're sufficiently informed, it's going to be like a magnet to people. That was him. Okay, he was a magnet to his conservative base because he was doing those things. You do those things, you'll replicate that success. Now, it may take time. Remember, he started in 1971, and it wasn't until 1988 that he got his big break, and it wasn't until about 91, 92 that 
people like me started listening. I started listening because uh, I was a sophomore in college at the time. My next door neighbor, Andy Peterson, was a radio major. He was listening to it. And uh, he's, hey, you got to listen to this guy. And then I read his books and I was like, wow, okay, this guy, he, he had something to contribute to my life. He was meaningfully adding value to my life. And that is when you're going to succeed. Okay, next. The First Amendment doesn't give anybody the right to be heard. People don't have to listen to you. Awesome. Okay, that's right. Nobody has to listen to you. They self-select. Okay, so people choose him and you have to understand that that's the way it works. Okay, um, I'm thinking of a quote by Vanilla Ice. He said, you don't choose your fans, your fans choose you. And he's largely right about that. Same kind of idea, right? Your fans choose you. You, you don't get to say, I want this one and I want that one and I want the other one. Now, that's half the equation. The other half is who you are is going to draw them in to you. Look, if you don't like the way that I speak a little bit too fast or the way that I process things through a somewhat conservative biblical kind of lens as I talk about leadership, you're going to opt out. But if those are the kinds of things that are interesting to you, you're going to be listening to more episodes. Okay, that's the way it works. And Rush understood it. Okay, I'm amazed at the Democrats and the media who do not know what's going on in my world. I know what's going on in theirs. I study them. I watch them every day. <laughs> now, again, here's the, and that's the final lesson here with Rush. And that is that he was not only aware of his own side, he was paying attention to the other side. And so he was understanding his market so well that he knew what value he would need to bring to them by explaining, unpacking, sense-making of what the Democrats were doing so that conservatives could process it. And again, this is my, my point here is not about Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives. It's not about that at all. It's understanding that he understood what will make you succeed, what will make you a leader, what will cause you to grow and to become huge as he became? It's because he understood these lessons, okay? He was adding value. He was being excellent. He understood his market. If you do these kinds of things, you will succeed too. So Rush, thank you for your years of service. Thank you for what you've done for me personally, as well as millions of Americans uh, around the world. And um, thank you for this final lesson about how to become a better leader. Hey, I hope that this episode helps you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. And if you like this episode, please listen to more, share it with others, but think about how you can grow as a leader. Learn these lessons and you'll become that kind of leader too.